thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And I'm going to butt in. (laughs) So I just want you all to know that I have a very special hashtag boy crush on this particular person. And it has been on my vision board for probably the last 18 months, nearly two years, that we would get to have this gorgeous being on our show. So it gives me absolute great pleasure because finally someone in my stratosphere and my world is on the show that has really really amazing international uh, renown and regard. And I would love to say welcome to the show, you gorgeous being, Dr. Eric Zelensky. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm smiling ear to ear. I wish everyone could see me. I, I, I don't know if I'm happier to be with three lovely women or if I'm just excited to just be on this podcast because it's from Australia and I love what you're doing. I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> so excited. I don't know what to expect because this isn't scripted. So be nice. My wife is listening. Um, I just don't know where this is going. So I'm a little... <laughs> be very afraid, Eric. Be very afraid. <laughs> Well, look, let's get straight into it, Eric, because there's so much that I'd love for you to share with our listeners. I mean, I really got to know you uh, vicariously through the Essential Oils Summit, in particular, hearing your voice in every episode on that, which was just such a a beautiful rendition. But could you just give us a bit of a background um, as to who you are, where you've come from, what the major epiphanies were for you in your life, and how come you're so into essential oils? There you go. Yes. Awesome. I am currently what I've gone through a transformation. I've gone through a life transformation, a spiritual transformation, and I've been living a life for about 13 years that I would I would define as a biblical health educator and a natural health researcher. Um, I was a very sick child. And I'm 36 years old, and I was born in 1980. And in America at the time, there was some scare. Um, My mother told me there was a PCB, a chemical scare, in the milk that she was drinking. And she elected not to breastfeed me. And so I was was bottle-fed, and I was part of the generation where women in America really was easy for them not to, and so a lot of them didn't. And I had a lot of problems when I was a kid, and I was sick. I was a very sick child. Now, I didn't have cancer. I didn't have lupus, but I was just chronically really not doing well. I had sore throats and earaches all the time, and my folks elected to um, have my adenoids and my tonsils, you know, vital parts of my lymphatic system taken out, and that didn't help. And then my gut problems surfaced into horrible um, cystic acne, and then we elected to take what's now one of the most, now known, one of the most dangerous drugs. Um, I was on Accutane and Retin-A, and um, we just, we were just the American family who didn't eat very well. You know, we had normal fruits and vegetables in our meals, but it was just white processed sugar and white processed flour, and um, you couple that, and I believe this is so pivotal in my world, you couple that with not being breastfed, you couple that with being vaccinated, you couple that with um, taking the antibiotics that the doctor recommended, getting my adenoids taken out. When I was late, my late teens, early 20s, I developed significant depression. 
Um, I, I just went, I didn't have a self-identity. Um, significant insecurity problems, especially because of the um, the horrible acne and, and the, the complications I had on my skin. And that developed when I was 22 years old into suicide ideation. And I was just a hopeless, helpless kind of person. Now, don't get me wrong, on the outside, and this is the thing that I like to talk to a lot of people about and help encourage, because on the outside, I looked pretty good. I was working out. I had my six-pack abs. I looked like the guy that I'm sure you see at the beach, right? But in the inside, I was rotting. And, you know, chronic gas and GI issues and things that people don't necessarily talk about. And then I had a spiritual awakening. I um, actually became a Christian and when I was 23, and that just opened up my eyes. I actually had an epiphany. I had, um, I, I, was, I was awakened. I was enlightened into a new way of life, and I needed to really take care of myself. And so I started studying natural health, natural solutions, and one by one by one by one, I started curing myself of everything. Um, currently, I just, I'm healthier now than I've ever been. And interestingly, Kim, when you mentioned essential oils, essential oils weren't part of my paradigm up until about three years ago. Now, I'm, I'm a professional public health researcher and medical writer, and um, I was providing for my family at the time by writing and doing a series of public health reports for people. And one of my clients asked me to write a series of public health reports about oils. I didn't think two things about it. I've written about everything under the sun. So I started writing and then writing. I touched base on, I think the first one was oregano, then tea tree, then frankincense, and then lavender. And I just became shocked unbelievably taken back by the research, the evidence-based understanding of these just precious elements that come from trees and leaves and barks and roots, right? And I was floored. And I went to my wife and I'm like, Sabrina, what, why aren't we using essential oils more? And, and, and she kind of looked at me like how wives do. And She's like, well, I told you about oils many years ago, right? My wife, that's a whole nother story. And I don't want to go on. I'll go on. I'll just go on. But I could tell you my wife's story, but she's been using oils forever. And I just kind of dismissed it as her smelly stuff. You know, she has her routine every morning under her armpits, under her feet. She does her thing. And I just never thought two things about it until I started doing research. I'm like, whoa. And then she started teaching me. And that's when I took it to another level, um, being formally trained as an aromatherapist, putting on my oil summit, um, coaching people around the world. I just love them. Oh, well, I tell you what's so special about that is so many people we talk to and many women will be listening to this podcast who would love their partners to understand or husbands to understand more around the absolute amazing nourishing and detoxifying qualities around plants from herbal medicine through to essential oils. I just want to ask you quickly, so your wife was doing this for some time. You were watching her. Did it ever bother you that she was doing that? Or were you one of those men that would go, how much is that costing? Were you one of those? Because there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> no, you know, I will say I'm – I've, I've, I'm, I'm the, I'm the different, I'm the different partner in the paradigm. Um, when I met my wife, my, my wife, and I hope you all have a, an opportunity to talk to her. She's just lovely, just a beautiful soul. When I met my wife, she actually had an eating disorder. And, um, I was at a point where I was just health coaching and I was helping people just because it was who I was and what I was doing. I was working corporate. I, I actually managed a bank for a season and I wasn't doing this professionally, but I was pretty well educated. And people asked me at work and at church, Hey, Eric, you know, essentially I became people's doctors by just giving them or health coach, life coach. So when I met my wife, um, when I met Sabrina, I just fell in love with her instantly. And um, when I 
when we started developing our relationship, she, she let me know she, she had an eating disorder that was plaguing her for many, many years. And really, by God's grace, I was able to help her overcome that. And with that, I say that because I've always been the leader in, in our home regarding natural health in virtually every area. Now, she's taken it to another level when it comes to cooking and cleaning and her do-it-yourself. And I mean, she's just brilliant. Um, yet, it's a nice thing is because it's been a very nice, fair um walking side by side kind of experience because at first I led her along to help her really overcome where she was at and it was just a beautiful transformation to see where she went and see where she is today um, and then she just ran with it but it was funny because essential oils have been part of her life since she was a teenager and I just I you know Kim I'll, I'll tell you to be quite frank I, I dismissed oils as not effective because I developed athlete's foot um several years ago and I did some research like I do for everything. I'm that person, Kim, unless I'm and ladies, unless I am like on my deathbed, I'm not going to take a drug. That's just me. I've been that way now for 13 years. And so when I developed athlete's foot, I went to the local health food store. I got some Melaleuca and that was supposed to be it. Nothing happened. If anything, it got worse. And I was forced to use a, uh, a, a medical spray that I really wasn't fond of, but it, I needed some support because essential oils didn't help me. Well, I dismissed it. I became very judgmental of essential oils at that moment because I'd said, oh, well, it's just not for me. Maybe I need something else. I didn't realize what I bought really wasn't essential oils. It was adulterated poison. It was just junk. And I've learned, and I know you all know this, I mean, we have found that 75% of all oils on the market are are adulterated. Um, they're cut with fillers or they're just synthetic. And I had to be educated about that. So um, I wasn't that person. If anything, I'm the one who wants to spend more money on natural health and solutions. Um, but I will tell you, I have many friends who aren't like that. And I've noticed men particularly are very, very stubborn, especially in America. And I would imagine Australia and New Zealand and Canada, you know, we're all very similar in that respect. Um, I find it because most of my followers on my newsletter and Facebook and social media are women. And it's becoming more common, but rare to see men engaged. So I do feel blessed. And going back to my epiphany, I do feel I was enlightened. And I feel that women instinctively because they are caretakers of the home they're nurturers they have i believe by design given to be the life force of the entire universe i believe they have intuition and they've been enlightened to a broader scale than men have um, with natural health and solutions so people like me and other male figures when we rise up a lot of folks flock to us because there aren't too many men preaching this message you know mm -hmm. I'm actually, I'm having a look at your website now, Dr. Eric, and I'm fascinated by the articles that um, you have here. One of them that's just caught me by surprise, strangely enough, is the truth about cannabis. I don't know. Go figure. I'm really interested to know about your, your position on that um, between, and, yeah. and the difference between hemp and marijuana and how that actually fits in with the whole health and well-being um, movement because I notice, and I'm just going to keep rattling on right here because I'm quite excited with what I'm seeing. The essential oils revolution. You were talking to us about that, Kimmy, before we went on, um, before we went to Machu Picchu. Yes, yes, and you're doing another one too, aren't you, Eric? But I'll, I'll let you explain that a bit later. But please tell us about the the article because she's sitting there. I can tell she's buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, am, yes. I am. <laughs> 
So August 22nd, we're doing part two of the essential oil revolution. Now, cannabis is a different story. Um, different meaning I wanted. So folks, I put myself out there, ladies, I put myself out there, biblical health educator, everything I do is in the context of biblical health. And I'm telling you something, one thing I've learned um, about Christians specifically, are they can be some of the most judgmental people on the planet. And I'm one of them, so I could say it. And I write articles, I've done a whole series of public health reports on Tai Chi. And I can't tell you how many people have emailed me and almost even chastised me for for supporting, quote, an Eastern practice. And it's very interesting in the States, very interesting in the United States, a lot of Christians in my part of the world essentially bastardize anything from the East as being satanic, mm-hmm. yoga, Tai Chi, meditation, you name it. And so I feel just very empowered because I'm so vocal about my faith and I'm so vocal about who I am that, you know what? If someone like me is, is preaching from the rooftops that something like cannabis could actually be helpful, I'm, I'm trying to help break that stigma. And so cannabis is a plant, and I believe that there are ways that we could use it in a good way, and I believe there are ways that we can use it in a bad way. And I mean, just off the cuff, folks, I don't recommend smoking anything. I mean, if you think of it, you're putting smoke into your bronchial system and your lungs are just going to constrict, and that's not good for anybody. So I see what a lot of folks have done is they've taken something like tobacco, which has a lot of good health. You know, tobacco is very useful as a natural pesticide. But when you, you know, you put it in a pipe and smoke it, that could affect your your respiratory function. Same thing like cannabis. And I want to put I want to put down the stigma. I want to put out the fire that because something can quote get you high, it, it's bad for you. Because if that's the case, then why aren't we condemning Prozac? Why aren't we condemning any other mind-altering pharmaceutical? And I find it very curious, very curious. And I see that as a double standard, especially in the church, because, yeah, you know, we don't want to support something like cannabis, but we're going to support all these mind-altering pharmaceuticals that basically make you a vegetable. However, there are safe ways of using cannabis plant that really don't affect, that have no psychotic effects. And so I talk about cannabis. And the thing is, first and foremost, there is no such thing as cannabis oil. Um, Kim will, you know, being who she is and her expertise in aromatherapy, she'll confirm, right? It's an extract. It's not the essential oil. So when we talk about cannabis oil, number one, it's just ignorant. It's just a misnomer. And it misleads people because people think it's like an oil. No, it's extract. And when they extract it, when they when they take it, when they produce it, um, the most common way is to use like harmful solvents where it's very effective and very safe to use olive oil, something much more natural instead of ethanol or something that could be very harmful. And so I just talk about the differences between cannabis and hemp. Um, it's essentially the same plant, but it's harvested differently and the medicinal aspects of both. And I'm, I'm a big, big fan of CBD oil, which is an oil extracted from the hemp plant, which has very, very low of any THC. And that THC is what gets people high. And if they utilize the CBD oil, they get the cannabinoids, they get the health benefits, and they don't get that psychotrophic effect. So for me, regardless if someone has, you know, they're Buddhist, they're Muslim, they're Christian, they're the religious persuasion that would prevent them from getting maybe, you know, mind altering drugs, you don't dismiss it because I'm telling you, 
there is a lot of research behind it. And the testimonials on the internet are just mind blowing. So we need, we need to think. And you know, Kim, I don't know um, what you experience in, in Australia and you lovely ladies. I don't know if you've experienced this in your own natural health world, but up until 20 years ago, essential oils were also bastardized as snake oil. And um, it wasn't until, you know, the network marketing companies brought them into the Mormon church that now Christians were even open to really receive essential oils. It's interesting. So I'm hoping cannabis will be the same. I'm hoping 5, 10, 20 years from now we'll see more people embrace um, really what I feel is God's medicine. I love how you, I love how passionate you are about it. But you know, the part that's really speaking to me is how you, um, uh, without sounding too out there, and, and I guess um, from a spiritual perspective, from a Christian perspective, uh, those listeners who, are, who, who, who follow that strain will really get this. And I think everybody will probably get it as well. But I think I love how you're seeing everything that is on this planet as a gift from God to us in the context of its ability to heal us, support us, um, participate in the life force of being us, um, which ultimately then, you know, provides a greater vessel for transformation on this planet and on this earth. And I really love how, you know, you, you, you call yourself a biblical health uh, author uh, and, and educator how is how is the um, education and uh, how does how does the Bible how does this is a bit of question let me get to it how does the Bible talk about health and how does that relate to plants how about that <laughs> so more, my more love it love it um, <laughs> my my um, my professional verse, so to speak, you know, I, I align myself with much in the, in the, in the Bible and the scripture. Um, in the very last chapter, the last book of the very end of the Bible, um, there's, there's a verse that says the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And it talks about the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth and a river running through this beautiful city. And, and, and it, you read it and you could read it for uh, you could read it for the literary value you could read it for just the beauty of seeing the different paradigm of what a certain group of people believe in the afterlife yet to think and to see that there is a direct reference to a tree that has healing properties which is interesting because there's still going to be need to be healing in that in that part of the afterlife, which I think we can talk about that. But I think it's very, very interesting. But think about that. What epitomizes the leaves of the trees of the healing of the nations and essential oils? I mean, it just it dawned on me. I've read that scripture over and over and over, and I've heard it about so many things. Like, yeah, you could take this medicine, you could take this plant for this, this root for that. And then I started really digging into it. And then I thought, wow, this could be a very direct reference to essential oils because we do see extracts. We do see ointments. We do see salves. I mean, for crying out loud, the anointing oil that God told mm. Moses in the book of Exodus, cassia, calamus, cinnamon, <laughs> you know, what do you think that was? He told them to purify the temple. Why? Because they were slaughtering animals and there was E. coli and there was blood and there was all kinds of, you know, pathogens everywhere. And there's a reason why 
God told them to purify this with essential oils because they're antimicrobial. I mean, there was practical purposes to this stuff. It wasn't just for incense, but yeah, there has that therapeutic effect as well. But you look at it, you look at how oils especially were utilized in the Bible. And I will tell you folks, there is a misnomer. I mean, to believe that Jesus used frankincense like we have today is not even sensical because they didn't have the distillation procedures like we have today. Yeah, they did. We do have records of crude distillation procedures back to Pompeii like 3,500 years ago, but no way. They had nice extracts and they had nice, you know, you put a big vat of olive oil with some lavender and let that soak for a couple months and then you get an ointment, a salve, the, the balm of Gilead, right? Um, but there's so much. And here's the thing. Thing. When to epitomize it, it's not a list of rules and do's and don'ts. I think people get caught up, especially in the, the book of Leviticus about you shall not eat shellfish or you should not have pork. No, there's a reason. There's a reason because you have to think these folks didn't have medical practices and the knowledge that we do. And I do believe, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but, you know, crustaceans and catfish and bottom feeders, you know, we are what they eat. And if these, if these you know, creatures are eating the refuse of the ocean and you're consuming them while you're eating the trash of the ocean. I see there's benefit in not having lobster. I see their benefit with not having crab the delicacies, shrimp, catfish, pig, swine. And to me, it's not a matter of sin. It's a matter of, Hey, you know, there are certain things that are good, certain things that aren't. And so at the end of the day, when I read the Bible, when I go through the scriptures, I just see it as God's love letter to help us live the abundant life. And that's to me, the, my mission, whether it's your finances, whether it's your love life, whether it's your health, your mental health, your emotions, there's a roadmap for virtually all of it. And I just want to let people know that yes, the answers are in the Bible, but we need to help each other find them because we're all here together. And that to me is the greatest commodity. It's not about plants. It's not about what God, what God's given us in nature is great, but he's given us each other. And we are the most potent, unbelievable healing agents on this world. We have such a great uniqueness. If we believe that we're created in God's image, just think about that. If that's your paradigm, if you believe he created the universe, well, you have that power within you. So we need to help each other, support each other, because we can work together to virtually solve every problem in this world. And so I just want to do my part and work with beautiful women like you because we're doing great work together. <laughs> Dr. Z, that's that's just absolutely wonderful. I <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been listening to this, trying to get a word in edgeways <laughs> with these two. I'm just not Good luck with that, love. Good luck with that. I agree with you absolutely. The problem is in this world is that we have different philosophies and I have this, like I've read, you know, all of what you've done and I noticed that, you know, your change was 13 years ago and I'm just wondering if, is that because you went from a very mechanistic viewpoint to a very vitalistic viewpoint when you started to study chiropractic at Life University or at, at oh. Life? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it, you know, Life University, studying the vitalistic paradigm that our body w w has the just innate ability to heal itself under the right conditions, that is it in and of itself vitalism. Um, to me, the natural progression of my walk was to become a chiropractor. In America, they teach, you know, we're, we're trained, licensed primary care physicians. 
And if you go to the right schools, some of them are very, um, oh boy, they're very mechanistic and they're very medical minded. And so I chose the education I did just because it was just to me, it was the next step. And then after that, I guess it's funny. I've never practiced one day. Um, I got launched into this world of, uh, I thought I was going to have a wellness center, abundant life, health and wellness center, (laughs) you know, you know, scriptures all over the walls and worship music playing. And I would just pray for people and we'd help educate about um, food and exercise and just help people live and have like grief counselors come in and have financial advisors teach, just help people with their whole life. And no, I, I, my practice has become the internet and it's become a global practice. And I've been very humbled because if I would have known what I know now, I never would have done it. It would have been too overwhelming. Uh, I can handle a little office at the corner. I couldn't have handled emotionally six years ago knowing what I do now. But uh, to answer your question, um, it was just a natural, it's just to me, again, the natural progression. And once I started chiropractic college, the natural progression from there, going from my, my, my literature background um, as an undergraduate, because I love writing, was to be a research writer. So I became a chiropractic research writer and I started traveling the nation and even gone overseas sharing chiropractic research as a student. And I fell in love with it. That was, again, the natural progression of my journey. And then that took me to where I'm at today. And I don't know what the next step is, but I, I am so appreciative of the journey because it's not about the end destination. I'm never going to make it. You know, I'm, I'm, I've learned to embrace every day, every step, because I know what I'm doing now, I need to do with all my mind, heart, soul, and strength. And I, I believe in my spirit, things are going to rapidly change for me in the next couple of years to a whole new world. But um, good question. Yeah. Well, I just know that my dad was a pharmacist and in 1956 went to Palmer College of Chiropractic and went from pharmacy to chiropractic and he's been practicing chiropractic for 55 years. Oh, I love it. Um, My sister went to Palmer. My husband went to RMIT in Melbourne and my daughter's at New Zealand College of Chiropractic. So we have three generations of thinking vitalistically as opposed to mechanistic. So you know, one when I read everything you did, I thought, oh, you know, maybe that was the change, especially when you were talking in the beginning, that, you know, you were from a mechanistic background in that that's the way your parents brought you up. And then you just, you know, like I realise um, Christianity and, and all of that has been all part of, of your journey. But I, I just, when I see chiropractic now, I, I get it. I get I get what it's all about and um, that's the way I, I was um, brought up and I've put that vitalistic um, teaching into nutrition as opposed to let's look at fats, proteins and, and carbohydrates. Why don't yes. we look at the whole food and as you're saying is what God gave us, what what we have in nature, the whole plants and I love it. I absolutely love what you're saying. And, you know, we've been, we, Kim, I have essential oils coming out my ears at my house at the moment. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I love it. Do you, remember, do you remember, Cindy, um, I know this isn't a, a beautifully written scripture, Dr. Z, but, and I know that this, this isn't going to come out at all highly intelligent. But what I do remember very clearly when I first met Cindy over 12, 13 years ago is her seven-year-old daughter at the time, Casey, and she just summed it up in my world so beautifully is God makes all the healthy stuff, all the rest is junk. 
And I just thought it was such an interesting, well, and she is the one that's chosen chiropractic. Mm. And I, I think too many people, and forgive me, I'm not a Christian, I don't know all the ins and outs on this, but my viewpoint or my understanding so far is like what you said before, a lot of Christians can become incredibly uh, not only judgmental but almost hypocritical without mm. with all of yes. this. So I think when you came into my world, it gave me such um, hope and, and not only hope around belief systems, doesn't matter what our belief system is, but it was that beautiful approach of the same as Cindy and Karen where it is that very whole approach. Can I ask then from your point of view, how have your parents seen your change and evolve? I, I imagine you wouldn't have blamed them for anything because if they knew better, they would have done better. But how has that evolved with that relationship and then yourself as a parent? Oh, boy. Good question. How much time do we have here? How much time? <laughs> I, I, um, I, my family, my mother and father have had two interventions with me. Um, one was when I became a Christian is because I, I left the Catholic church. I was raised a staunch Roman Catholic and I was actually about to join the seminary. I was recruited to be a priest. And so when I left that paradigm to just to, a again, I just love Jesus. I just, I just am just a non-denominational Christian. I follow the scripture. I came from a strict denominational background to, a um, just a more of a free spirit and that that crushed them um, because my especially my mother um, she's a hundred percent Sicilian and my father is a hundred percent Polish and so they come from two very strict Catholic backgrounds and it's it's their way of life and it's their it's their paradigm so that crushed them um, because I, I was the good one I was the altar boy I was the one that was going to be the priest I was the one who you know my brother was the one who rebelled he was the one who was drinking and well, okay, so it looks like we've, we've had another drop out here. Won't be a second, everybody. Won't be a second. First, and then um, we found a, a place of peace. And even up until today, I'll just be, you know, transparent. I, I, it's hard to spend time with my mother for any length of time. I mean, um, it's tough. It's tough. We had a conversation today. And it's just, you know, to me, when religion becomes... A stumbling block between your loved ones and your neighbor and other people, that's when religion becomes bad. And it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter what you believe. It shouldn't matter. And so maybe that's one reason why I'm so passionate about breaking down the most ignorant boundaries and walls that we have in the church because I am a victim of it. And so essentially I was isolated by my family for quite a while. And then the other intervention was when I became a chiropractor. It's like, come on. So because I, I did not do what I was supposed to do. I was in finance. I was making good money. I had a cushy corporate job and I did everything my father wanted me to do up until that point. I didn't do it because of my father, but I just did it because it was the safe thing. And it was, I just was my path at that moment. Uh, cause my father is, you know, he, he's a working blue collar middle-class American who came home and his hands were always dirty. I mean, his hands were stained black because of the type of work. He was a truck driver, but he worked on the yard and it was just a laborer working the night shift. And I value him for 
veritably doing a job he hated for 30 years to provide for the family, but he never fulfilled his calling. He never had purpose in his work. And I saw that when I was a kid and I never wanted to do that. And I always knew in my heart, in my heart of hearts, I was destined for great things. I don't know what that means, but you ask any child before they're tainted by society, ask them what they want to do when they grow up and they'll tell you some cool stuff, you know, whatever it is to them, an astronaut, an actor, a musician, something fun. They usually don't say, oh, I want to, you know, whatever. I, I don't want, I, I want to be in a, you know, a clerk in an accounts payable office or they, they usually don't say stuff like that. They usually say something grandiose. And I had that in my spirit and I was crushed. That, that, that dream, that vision was crushed just from years of just, I think, life and people. So when I finally had the courage at 29 years old to chase after my dream, that, that put a strain between my family and I because I didn't, I made a risky play. I invested 300,000 US dollars to become a doctor. Um, it's not cheap. And I, I, mine was a little more on the expensive end because I was providing for a family at the time too. But that was a risk that my family didn't support. So almost every step of the way, I've done things and I just get isolated or I get more opposition. Yet, you know, what's funny is now they're coming along. And when I was sharing with my mother, especially, mom, you know, we can't be eating the sugar or you shouldn't be doing that or just in love and maybe a little a little too aggressive, maybe a little too excited. You can tell in my voice, I'm not a very just laid back kind of copacetic person. I'm just intense. And maybe I was a little too intense for her. And she pushed me away. She goes, I've been living this way for this many years and I'm fine. I don't need to change. Well, guess what? Mom, bless her heart, is telling me now about stuff that is not good for me. And Great, mom, we talked about that a decade ago. Awesome, she's coming along, and I love that because a lot of my friends and family are starting to see the light, and they're starting to be awakened to the dangers of what's happening out there. And so when she has a problem, she's calling me first before she contacts her medical doctor, and, and that's a good place to be. This is we're, we're at the best place we've been in a long time, and I just, I, I just praise God for that. But it was hard. You know, when you make a decision, anyone listening right now, if you make, if you feel called to make a decision that is contrary to what your friends or your family uh, support or say or pressure you to do, you know, you have to be true to yourself. And at the end of the day, when it comes to our health, we are accountable for ourselves. Our doctors aren't accountable. Our family members aren't accountable. We need to make the decisions for ourselves, not for other people. And a lot of us, and I was a victim of that, I was living for other people. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. As children, they live for their parents. And some people never grow out of that. They die a very purposeless, unfulfilled life because they keep on living for others, trying to please others. And so that to me is part of the abundant life. And that's why I do what I do because I'm so passionate because I've seen my own transformation and I see so much brilliance and creative genius in everyone. I want to help bring that out. I want to help draw that because um, it's dormant in so many people. Eric, do you think, though, then when people, like a lot of our beautiful listeners, they are on this path and they do feel very inspired and then certainly listening to talks like yourself, one of the hardest things as we learn more is to not fall into the trap of becoming major evangelists or telling other people what they should or shouldn't be doing. What's your advice around that? That's the hardest thing. I struggle with that. Um, I used to much more. I was challenged. And one thing you'll see a theme as a writer. I don't write professionally anymore because I could barely have time to write for my own blog. But when I, a lot of my world 
and a lot of my experience was shaped by um, assignments. And one of my assignments, like I shared my assignment of essential oils shaping my just you know understanding of how they work, I was I was commissioned to write a report on how to communicate um, to a loved one who is obese their concern and their love and how to help them through that. And, you know, you have a family member who is overweight. How do you approach them about it? And so I will tell you, this assignment opened my eyes to a reality I didn't realize, and it humbled me, and it really caused me to repent, change my thinking in many ways, because um, I I interviewed uh, an expert in this from Texas, who was a psychologist who gave me some tips and it was just a brilliant, a brilliant education for myself to understand that, you know, there is only the, out of the source of love, there is only one way that we can approach somebody and it has to be on their terms, on their time and in their love language, so to speak. And that might mean you don't say anything. Some that might mean you you pray for them or you support them in any way that you can. Yet it's very challenging for people like me to keep our mouths shut because we're so excited. And you're right, we don't want to proselytize, and and I don't even come across as proselytizing in, in, at all in my message today. But some people might hear my message and have an immune response, but like, oh, he's talking about Christianity. That's not the point. I'm excited about what I do, and when I'm excited about essential oils, I want to tell people. But you're right, people can get turned off. And so what I've learned, especially with with obesity obesity and communicating to people is you have to, you have to really, especially folks like I, you got to tone down your energy like a hundred knots and you have to really come at a place of, um, humility, love. You have to come a place at concern and you have to approach someone and let them know that you love them and you want to see their, you want to see them just live in a good, good way, not to communicate in a way that they could think, oh, I'm better than you. And that could be tough. And for people, um, the advice is, you know, get a facilitator. And I will tell you, having a counselor or having a facilitator, someone trained in this might help. Say, you know, if it's a loved one, um, let's say, again, obesity, saying, you know, I'm just very concerned. I'm very concerned about our future together. I love to talk to someone. There's so many different aspects of our future that I really want to work on. And I want to, you know, don't isolate obesity, for example, but communicate, create a a safe place for them so they could slowly start to talk. Because we'll find a lot of people, um, especially who are obese or people that are addicted to substances or people that are struggling in any area, there's root causes that are very deep that even they are unwilling to or unable to approach. And quite frankly, you don't want to open up that can of worms if you're not trained. And I have, and I've opened up a can of worms and I've, I've brought people out of their closet and I was unprepared for that. And it became, it was disastrous in my own world. And so I've learned not to do that. And so that's a very, um, that's a very good question. But again, come from a source of love, Come from a source of hope and as a source of support and and try your best. And, you know, there's there's fun, again, on the side point, there's some things too. stop bragging on yourself. Stop talking about yourself all the time. Um, Stop talking about, you know, I just ran a seven minute mile or I just had this great vegan dinner. No, man, you know, that that kind of stuff just irks people. You know, it's like, hey, I just prayed for 10 hours. Aren't I holy? No, you don't do that kind of stuff. You know, like the Bible says, if you're fasting and if you're praying, you know, God says this. It's kind of interesting. Thing. You don't shave. 
shower. Make yourself look good. Don't act like a hypocrite. Be like, oh, woe is me. I'm fasting and praying. Look how holy I am. No, same thing for health. So stop peacocking. Put your feathers in and just be a normal person again. (laughs) I like that. I really like that. You know, it's so funny when people find the light or find – something that's working for them, they do want to tell the world. They're, mm-hmm. they're so excited about how good they feel and how, um, how it's changed their life that you find that they do become um, evangelists until they realize that people don't want to listen. <laughs> and, and you just got to go, oh, well, I'll just talk to the ones that, you know, do want to listen. I remember um, a really good friend of mine, I was in Europe with her and she um, is overweight very overweight. She's an amazing pediatric chiropractor. And um, she was put into hospital while we were in, um, uh, where were we, France, in Chamonix. And I went up to her in the hospital and I said, you know, you have such a lot to give in the chiropractic world, especially in the pediatric chiropractic world. You need to do something to, to make sure that you're still alive to be able to give this information out and look whether it made any difference to her or not but that was my way of trying Mm. to say you know it's not about you (laughs) it's actually about what you teach and how you have influenced people and I don't know I don't know if it worked or, or how it went but um sometimes you just get exasperated and you just you just know you can help them and they just you know they don't listen I know Kim has 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 issues with some family members like that, don't you, Kim? Yeah, I think really where I just went there is I just reminded myself of that story of us in Melbourne together and I saw this beautiful young woman standing there smoking. Oh, yes. And and she was just stunning. And I couldn't help myself, Eric. I just, I got up and I went over to her and I just went, you are the most beautiful, exquisite young soul I've ever seen. And I was mesmerised by you until I saw you smoke that cigarette. And you're going to think I'm an absolute nutcase and a fruitcake but I'm telling you you do not need that adult dummy in your life you are beautiful Mm. and then I went anyway thank you and I walked away and Cindy just sat there going I can't believe you just said that but I don't know what drew me to say it but maybe she gave up smoking maybe she didn't but oh my gosh I wonder if she'll always remember that blonde nutter that came up to her in the streets of Melbourne but it was said with love and and I think what you really do epitomize is uh, you own it that's one thing that I really love about the way you talk about your products and the and, or products as in what you give to people but you also own who you are and I think that was something that I very much loved and and certainly fell into hashtag boy crush mode about. So I want to ask you another question now around your parenting. How has that evolved with in combination, as I've said to you in a couple of conversations we've had, I truly believe the core fundamentals of a man is to provide and protect. And if we can live through that truth and allowing him to be that, then he can live in his greatness. And as a woman is to nourish and nurture, which is what you've really touched on with what Sabrina has been about. And I'm not saying as a man you can't nourish and nurture and as a woman we can't provide and protect, but I really believe those those core fundamentals of who we are. How do you approach your parenting and what is it like in relationships, particularly with your wife? How do you honour and respect, nurture and look after one another? So at, at first, um, I struggled. 
I really, I really struggled and I'll be vulnerable with you all for a minute. It, it was hard for me to be a very independent, um, in a sense, at the point when I met my wife, very self-educated, um, self-made in many ways. And I, I was a leader for many people before I was launched into this, in a sense, a global figure that, that I'm kind of becoming, it's really kind of wild even to see it. And he, We are having a little bit of trouble with this podcast today. Guys, just hang in there. It's all coming back on. It's all, it's, it's, it's all. And so, what's that? Oh, we just dropped out just for a moment there, Um, um, Dr. Eric. I'm so sorry about that. We've had a couple of dropouts, but we've managed to pick it back up again. But I just, we, we, we just had a dropout there for a quick couple of seconds. Okay. Carry on, please. You want me to start back? No, no, carry on. Oh. Okay, so when when we got married and when we lived when we moved in because we didn't um, live together until we uh, got married, um, it, it was a struggle for me because one thing I didn't do and I was very guilty of this and this is one thing I challenge all men listening and even for the women listening to be a little patient with their husbands. Um, I needed to truly learn to submit and I use that word uh, carefully submit to my wife's authority in the home. Um, cause she was raised, um, she was raised by a woman who is a home economist, who's an herbalist, who is basically like Martha Stewart without the jail time. Her mother, Donna Frawley is one of those beautiful, precious souls I've ever known. And she epitomizes what it's, it, it is to be a nurturer, um, their family dynamic with her father being the provider, with her mother being at home, it was just perfect for my wife. And so for her, she just assumed to take on the role and virtually do everything. And I had a say in things and I wanted maybe something to look like this or something to look like that. And I didn't respect the fact that my mom, that my wife decided and we decided together for her to not work when we started having our children. And her home is essentially her office. And I have my office, I'm in it right now, exactly how I want it, and I love it. Where for her, um, I felt initially, and we butt heads a lot initially in our in our youth, 26 to maybe when I was 32 years old. We had a few years that were kind of tough because I, again, being were very self-made, strong-willed people, and I wanted things done or I thought things could be done differently. And I didn't respect her. I didn't validate her. I didn't give her what she needed to be free to do what she needed to do. And I'm telling you, delivering three natural home births where she's pregnant with baby Z number four, as we uh, tape this um, interview, um, she hopefully will have a great another home birth next month. She breastfeeds exclusively for at least one year. We don't even introduce foods. Our, 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 our child's birthday gift, her first birthday is mashed avocado. I mean, you know, we live that way and I've learned to support her and give her what she needs and, and let her create the environment in the home so she could thrive because I've realized that helps me thrive and my children. And I mentioned that because it was very counterproductive, um, me trying to assert whatever it was. And it could even be, you know, something stupid like, hey, why don't we add this to that meal? That, that was offensive. I mean, that would be like you interrupting me right now and say, well, Dr. Z, why don't you say this? No, no, no. I'm talking. It's my interview. And you know what I mean? It's same thing with you. Like if I start telling you all how to conduct your podcast and that's what I was doing and that's what a lot of husbands do. And so I've just truly come to a place and our marriage is better than it's ever been. 
where I value her, I honor her, I see what she does as so pivotal, not only for my family, but also for our community and for the worldwide health of everyone, because we need to start at home. And husbands and wives, we need to know our roles. And whatever those roles are, they need to be predetermined, right? There is no book. You can just open up and say, hey, you do this, I do that. No, you need to have a good discussion before, during, after you're married, and just never stop the discussion. And you need to continually, and when I asked my wife, um, very pompously and very cold-heartedly, I didn't respect her. I didn't. I, I asked her what she wanted, and then I would argue. And I'm like, well, no. Now I ask. I'm like, hey, how can I help you? How can I support you? Um, it, it's a lot better. It's not where it could be, but you know what? I'm growing, and I'm I'm very patient with myself, and I need to be. And I think we all need to be patient with ourselves because no one's perfect. And again, I'm 36 years old. I got a lot of time with her left, so I hope we can look back 20, 30 years and and chuckle and laugh because um, that experience really humbled me. What an amazing angle! What an amazing perspective to have where. You're just totally all about creating room for the person in your life. And I'm, I'm looking at your family here and you're, you have the cutest kids, the most adorable combination of the two of you. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Just too sweet <laughs> for words. Oh. They look nothing like me. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they look all like my wife. My daughter is, is a twin. Um, and, and, my, and my wife is beautiful. I mean, she's a pageant queen and she's a model and she's just, she has the look. I mean, she doesn't know what it's like to take a bad picture. I mean, me, I have to, you have to catch me at the right moment. <laughs> a lot of Photoshop, a lot of Photoshop to get me. But when she had her headshot done, the photographer actually mentioned how he really didn't have to Photoshop her photo. It's like, wow. Oh, yeah, you're right. So blessed. I'm so blessed. So blessed. But precious inside and out. How divine. I think this has been such a fascinating podcast and if it, it, I feel like there's just so many questions that we can ask you. So, so Eric, what, is, what does a typical day look like for you? You know, you, you're working with so many people and you're getting your message out to so many people. Tell us what, is, what does it look like when you first get started? You know, it's actually a really good question because um, something recently happened. It, it, it was like something was birthed in my spirit where I realized that I just got out of survival mode and I just started recently developing a schedule of sorts. And I found it's been very challenging going to school, raising three, now our fourth baby on the way, um, becoming, uh, in a sense, a victim of circumstances and not really establishing a schedule. And so it, I, I think, I think I, if I have a minute, I'd like to mention, um, I feel that's really important for a lot of people because I've realized that a lot of people out there, they, they are in survival mode right now and their day-to-day -day interaction, their day-to-day -day interaction is directly contingent on, in a sense, what their responsibilities are and then they start to leave certain things that they need to do on the wayside or they don't focus. And for example, for me, I just recently started exercising on a regular basis again. And like, well, you could say, you know, Eric, how in the world haven't you been exercising your biblical called educator? Well, for me, at the point where I was, exercising was like going on a walk with my kids or maybe gardening with my wife or it wasn't going to the gym because for me to find like a half an hour um, to even go on a run or to do, I don't know, go do some weightlifting or some high interval 
um, in intensity training, that was in literally impossible in my world because getting my doctorate, raising three children with my wife, um, I, I literally was a victim of my schedule. And so that is a season I think a lot of us go through. And um, I was actually talking to my mom about that today. We actually had a good talk today and about how the 30s, someone's 30s, you're oftentimes growing. You're growing and you're growing your family, you're growing your business. And there there could be, I don't want to say lack of stability, but you know, when you're in your 40s, yeah, you know, your kids are older, you're not changing diapers, you're not up at two o'clock in the morning anymore, hopefully not with your children. Your career is a little more settled. You know, 40s, my mom said, is the prime of life. And I I, I could see that because at, at this point, um, it's been it's a, been very chaotic. It's unbelievably chaotic. And people ask me, like, you know, Dr. Z, how do you get done what you get done? And I look back and I, I can't even tell you. I mean, I've been able, I, I believe, really by the grace of God to, 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 to do an unbelievable amount of stuff in such a short amount of time. And I don't even realize I'm doing it because for me, work and pleasure and purpose all mesh into one. And so technically right now, I'm working, I guess, if you want to think of it. But I'm really not. I mean, this isn't if this is work. Wow. Sign me up, you know. So when <laughs> when when you do what you love and love what you do, because I was doing this stuff, not again, not talking to beautiful people like you over the pond. I wasn't doing this professionally 15, 10 years ago. But, you know, ever since 13 years, I've been health coaching and studying and researching on my own time and helping and serving. And now that I really have been able to figure out a way and fall into a season of my life where I can monetize it. It's really opened up a whole different way of living. And so my day-to-day -day interaction, it really just changes. But I've learned to be flexible and I've learned to be patient with myself. And so like currently, it's helping my children get ready um, for school. So we have a really neat system where my wife's downstairs. Like she, it's really important to her. It's really important for her because this is something that she f gets value from and, and she needs to manage this is the food. And so I've learned to let my wife have 100% you know, control in the kitchen, even though I'm very qualified to cook and to bake. Um, I let her do that because that's what she asked me. She actually asked me to stay out of the kitchen because um, I get in her way. <laughs> Maybe I'm not as clean as she is. I don't know. But that's cool. I totally respect that. So in the morning, my wife's got her routine. She goes downstairs. She puts on her diffuser. She starts aromatherapy. She gets the kids breakfast ready. She gets the kids lunches ready. And, and I'm upstairs brushing teeth, washing faces, clothes, diapers, and doing that fun stuff. And then, you know, I toss the kids downstairs, not toss them, I say, get downstairs, eat. And then I, you know, I, I get myself ready. I drop them off to school. And then that's when my day really starts. And now recently, because I finally have more of a control over my schedule, it's not so chaotic. I'm exercising first thing in the morning. I love it. Um, just whether it's uh, light cardiovascular, heavy running, weightlifting. So it's a good way to start my day to get me just flowing. Because I'm telling you, um, sitting is so bad for us. And I found myself as a researcher, as a writer, as an educator, I was sitting down all day. As a student, I was, I've been in six years as an office worker. I've spent the last essentially decade of my life on my butt. And now that I finally have the ability, because I own my own businesses to determine my schedule, I'm forcing myself to get out of that mindset where I need to start work immediately and sit down. So I start work or I start my day by movement. And that was just a couple weeks ago. And I, I have had to tell you, it just hit me. And I was like, well, I'm so grateful. So I did a little Facebook live um, in front of my, my tribe about thriving in survival mode. And I feel like I'm out of survival mode. 
And I was in survivor mode for about six years. And that happens to people. And whatever phase of life you're in, sometimes you're just getting by. And for me, having a schedule where I was studying from anywhere from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., managing patients, trying to help at the house as much as possible, being subject to board examinations and other things at school. I mean, getting a doctor was the most um, straining experience I've ever had, the most stretching experience I've ever had, but it was the best. I, I reached the end of myself. I, I I've always told myself I couldn't be a doctor. What a lie, right? It was something that happened when I became a little older. Once that vision of being great disappeared when I was a child, I said, you know, I believe this this lie. And this lie, I believe it was a lie from the devil that said, you can't be a doctor. You don't have a good memory. You can't do this stuff. And so I believe that lie. And so when I was 29 years old and I said, you know what? No, I can do all things. I can do this. I'm going to chase after my dream. It was not easy at first. And I had to train myself to think in a certain way and to memorize in a certain way. And I maybe had to put a little more time into it than other people. But we got through. We succeeded. I thrived. But yet at the expense of what? And I found for two, three years, I wasn't really exercising on a regular basis. My exercise was, you know, again, hanging out with my kids, going on walks with them, gardening with my wife, anything to just to move. But now that I'm in a better place, now that things are stable, um, I'm so grateful. So my, my message to people, because I'm really passionate about this at this point in my, my life, is is if you are th- if you're just surviving. You know, I remember my grandma, God bless her heart, God bless her soul, one of the most precious people in my life. I remember her refrigerator like it was yesterday. And she had a little magnet and the magnet was a simple picture of a cute little bubbly looking angel cartoon. And there was a rope with a knot at the end of the rope. And the angel was at the end of the rope. And all the caption said was, you know, when, when I get to the end of my rope, I tie a knot and I just hold on. And you know what? I was there for for far too long, in my opinion, but I was there for five and a half, six years. But you know what? I still didn't give up and I still tried my best. And that to me is thriving in survival mode. And so if you're at that place, folks, if you're just at the end of your rope, just tie a knot, do the best you can, you know, whatever that might be. Whenever we could talk about strategies, but I don't want to go on. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place um, that someone can be is when they experience empowerment of thriving in that mode and then getting out of it. Eric, I, I just, I absolutely, <laughs> I think I could have you on all day, all day, every day. And I'm sure that Cindy and Karen feel the same. And oh, absolutely. I just think that we feel, yeah, he's just, aren't you glad? Have I done well? Oh, Have I done well? Done well. So did good. Oh. We so love you, Eric. So, look, I've been listening to you the whole time with my pen has not stopped writing, <laughs> so I suggest we should perhaps put a warning at the beginning of this podcast to, to not drive while you're listening to this one. But here, here's some of my take-homes, and, Eric, I'd love you to to tell me if I'm, I'm on the right track here. But um, I love your start the day with movement, and I, I absolutely agree with you wholeheartedly, which is why we were lucky to get Cindy on the call because uh, swimming is so important to her. Yeah. Um, and obviously you saw us in Peru that's very big to us I love the call be true to yourself and that you are your own accountability measurement no one else is uh, there's only one way to approach someone to help them, and that is in their way. I really loved that. Tone down your energy levels 100 knots. I think I'm going to take that one away. Um, 
I also loved the way you said always try your best and maybe stop peacocking, put your feathers away and stop talking about yourself. And I think that comes back to, you know, maybe if we could turn that around into asking questions. Be patient with your partners. I love that. And I think even though you were saying be patient with your husbands, I know a number of our men listeners that listen to this would probably say they would need to find more patience with their wives because they're like you. They're on the path that you're on. Uh, So I think I, I changed that to be patient with your partners. I particularly like this one. I may have it wrong, but I've taken it as, and all men that are listening to this need to hear this one, you must submit to your wife's authority uh, on all levels, I'm suggesting. (laughs) 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 I love the way you said value her, honour her. It's pivotal not only to your own family but in essence to the world. So I, I really love that. Work uh, with pl- work, pleasure and purpose are all tied into one. Do what you do, love what you do, and most of all be patient and kind to yourself. And I love that last quote, when I get to the end of my rope, I just tie a knot and hold on. And I think for me, ultimately, because of my connection to you, Eric, that the leaves of the trees are indeed the healers of the nation. So I want to say from my heart to yours that to have someone in my sphere talk the way you do, it is, it's really humbling. I've been doing this, I've been an aromatherapist for 28 years and I have been waiting for someone like you to come into my world. So thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm just, wow. I'm touched. That was that was beautiful. I, I I don't take credit for any of that. I listened. I'm like, I said that. <laughs> oh, you drew it out of me. You ladies, um, count me in whenever you want me to speak again. I'm just thoroughly enjoyed this. You you ask certain questions that just just bring the best out of people. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm very humbled, very blessed, and I love each and every one of you. You're just so precious. Thanks, Dr. Dr. Eric. Dr. Eric, how can can our listeners get more of you? How can they find you? Where do they go to to dive deep into your world? Yeah, yeah. Um, The first first place is my website and also Facebook. It's both the same. It's Dr. Eric Z, and that's Dr. Eric with a C Z D R E R I C Z dot com. Type up Dr. Eric Z. Um, if you want inspiration, that's what my Facebook page is all about. My website is all about essential oils and biblical health. I have devotionals and all kinds of other things. I have my own podcast. So yeah, thanks so much for joining uh, the tribe. I invite you. It's We're 100,000 people strong now and we're growing every day. And it's very, very encouraging and humbling to see the tribe just, just blossom. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And I think that um, all of our listeners are going to take away so much from it. And I've signed up to your website. I've liked you on Facebook. I've even got my emails that have come through with all of my free goodies. So I'm stoked about that. Um, Yeah, my free goodies plus my, my seven key areas of an abundant life. And I can't wait to dive into that. So thank you so, so much for the work that you do on behalf of all of us here on this planet. Thank you for being a voice alongside our beautiful Kim for what the potency of the planet actually gives back to us. It's been an absolute treat to share the last hour with you, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. 
So for everybody listening to today's podcast, please make sure that you go and check out Dr. Eric and make sure that you start to really do some of your own research and exploration into this beautiful world of aromatherapy. You can join us on our Facebook page with all of your comments at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat or you can also post any of your your questions or comments at all the w's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat and we will look so forward to sharing next week's podcast with you so stay tuned we're going to see you there and make sure that when you go to itunes you give us a five star rating We've also got more information coming out for you um, for our uh, next trick, our next holiday. So keep your ears and your eyes peeled because Miss Kimmy is almost about to confirm where we're going. So we can't wait to share that with you. It's so exciting. So join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to see you on the ride. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.